they actually behind my back instructed a lot of people to block me. So before I knew it, people were just blocking me on, on WhatsApp and on Telegram and I couldn't interact with the people that I cared about. So I told the, the leader, this actually happened on 16 October. I, I told him, you know, you, I spoke with you about one of the reasons why I'm still trying is because of the people that I care about. Um, and why would you then go and take away from me the only thing that is making me want to still try to believe and stay here, which is the people. If you take that away from me, what do you expect? Are you stupid? Like, what's wrong with you? Um, I was very upset. I just couldn't understand how could you be this dumb? Because like, even if you believe that stuff, which is fine, you still need to know that this person is trying because of the people, some people that he cares about. Why would you then cut that off and then be upset that he wants to leave? Like, what do you expect? I, I just, I found it ridiculous and I was actually rather upset about it. And when they did that, I told them, I have no reason to even try to believe in your, you know, your things anymore. I'm dumb. I'm sorry. Hey guys, and welcome back to another video. So today I am interviewing Lori, who is the creator of the YouTube channel SCJ Skeptic. Uh, Lori is a former member of the Shinchanji uh, church or cult, uh, however you want to refer to it as. Um, and so today he's going to share his his story. Um, just a little disclaimer: in this video, we we get you know we kind of get off into different topics um, beyond just him sharing a story. And he talks about his own kind of uh, beliefs at this point. And, and he's no longer a uh, believer in, in Christianity or, or God in general. And so, um, you know, some of the things I might talk about and share, like I'm, I personally am even in a, a place with, with my faith where I have a lot of questions. I'm figuring a lot of things out. Some of you following this channel are already familiar with that. I think we all should be able to be in a belief system where we're, we're honest and upfront about the things that we believe and are confident in and areas where we have questions and things seem to not make sense. And so that's what I attempted to do in this conversation with Lori is, is just, um, you know, we're both just honest about where we're at with faith and questions we both have. And um, even, you know, there's some disagreements at, at times where we share um, opposing opinions. And um, I, that's kind of what I want this channel to be able to be about. Um, I'm not going to limit who comes onto this channel to just people who might align fully with my perspective um, or anything like that. I want people to be able to hear um, all sides of the table. All that to say, uh, the, the conversation gets into some of those things. And um, I think hopefully that'll be interesting and, and helpful to, to some of you. Um, as always, would you all, um, if you're new to the channel, subscribe if you find this content helpful or useful um, and like and comment on the video. All that goes a long way in helping to uh, continue to grow the channel, which in turn helps me to continue to make these videos and to, to make more of them. So I appreciate all that. And then one last thing. Uh, or maybe two last things. Uh, sorry for the long intro, but we Great Light Studios is now on TikTok, and I'm I'm trying to get up to a thousand followers because that will allow me to go live on TikTok, um, and hopefully be able to have conversations, live conversations on there with more WMSCOG members. TikTok's a little bit more, I think, uh, has a laid back feel in comparison to YouTube, I feel like. And so I think if I was to do more live videos on TikTok, there's more of a potential to get WMSCOG members to jump on. At least that's um, my um, 
uh, kind of how I, I perceive it at this point. We'll see if it turns out. But if you would subscribe or follow us on TikTok, just search for Great Light Studios. I'd really appreciate that. And then obviously, if you want to support the channel financially, um, you can find in the description of the video below different ways you can uh, do that. So um, yeah, thank you all for watching and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Lori. appreciate you coming on to talk about your yeah. experience in this group. No, it's, it's nice to be able to talk to you. And it's, uh, what, at what point did you start? Because you, you have a YouTube channel and you, you run the SCJ skeptic YouTube channel. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. You know, so I actually, I, I never really intended to start a YouTube channel. Um, after I left SCJ, um, there was like a lot of people that contacted me. And then I always chatted with them because I like to, to talk to people about just religion actually in general. I, I like to kind of debate and discuss yep. religion and philosophical topics and so on. Um, and just people just started contacting me and when they would leave, they would tell other people about me and kind of over the progression of about a year, um, I think it was probably more than 30 people that had contacted me and we had we just had chatted for a couple of months and most of them, I think out of all the people that I've ever chatted with that were in ACJ, they were doubting. There's only like two that actually stayed in ACJ and the rest all left. Um, so I kind of built up this kind of like reputation, which wasn't really what I'd intended. I just like to talk about, you know, ACJ as well. Right. Um, and they, they actually suggested to me, why don't you start a YouTube channel where you can just share some of the stuff that you've learned. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much, I, I decided, okay, I'll just share some information. Um, I, I haven't really put much effort into the channel because I don't have much time, but mm -hmm. um, I think with that, um, my parents are, well, they were going through divorce. And ACJ kind of gave a lot of feedback to my mother, like regarding like the, there was like a whole battle where the church wanted like a lot of money from my father to kind of gather finances so that, you know, they can like buy a church building. Like I come from a very wealthy family. Um, so ACJ wanted like finances from my dad to like buy okay. a, a church building for ACJ. So there was like a whole battle going on. Um, and I started the channel like right after the divorce was settled because I didn't want to start the channel. Then my mother, because my mother is still a leader in ACJ, I was, we were afraid that she would think this is like the devil persecuting her and stuff like that. And she might change her mind about the whole divorce settlement. Um, so we just kind of waited that out. So the day that I, I made that kind of that original video of mine, that testimony video, I think it was like two or three days after the divorce was actually settled. Um, and I didn't really put much thought into the, um, to the, uh, testimony, to be honest, uh, I wasn't even completely sober <laughs> during the video as well. I actually had a couple of drinks that night okay. and, um, well, it, does, thought, oh. it doesn't show. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was actually thinking of just, you know, putting my story out there. Um, yeah. and yeah, I, I winged it. I didn't even have a script or anything. I just winged it. Um, and then I just put it up. Um, yeah. yeah, and then for some reason people liked it, so I thought, oh, maybe I yeah. should continue with this. That's great. Uh, I, well, I, I mean, it sounds like you're you're busy and you might not have a whole lot of time to do it. But I just just knowing from experience, 
doing a channel, you know, similar to what you're kind of doing with a, a kind of focus on a different group, obviously, but I, it, it yeah. is, it definitely is needed. I think it's, it's definitely needed. And even just the videos you have out there, I, I don't have a doubt in my mind that they're going to impact people's lives. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the things that just listening through the, your story, your sisters and the other, the other, um, Oh, I can't remember his name. What was his name again? It was the third Sean. testimony. Sean, that's right. So yes, Sean's testimony. Yes. But one one of the things that that stands out to me was just kind of the the amount of years that are lost in groups like this, and just how yes. how unfair that is. How it's just like it, it it it's something in me just wants to like do whatever I can to bring justice to that because it's such a a tragic thing in a sense. And it's, it's not that, you know, people who yeah. spend years of their lives in these groups, like their lives are over or ruined because mm. of that, but, but it is just something that such such a valuable, um, you know, thing in your life years, literally just these years are stolen, are stolen from you who are, um, kind of manipulated yeah. and deceived into to giving yourself to this group. And so, so all that said, I just, yeah, I, I definitely appreciate you um, just being another voice out there of, of reason <laughs> to, to sure. give, give people kind of the whole story because in these groups, you know, whether it's the world mission society, church of God or Shinchanji, people aren't given the whole story. They're not given all the information. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, yeah, so yeah, I appreciate you doing that. And just anybody listening to this, I, I would encourage you to go and, and check out the SCJ Skeptic YouTube channel, subscribe to it, um, check out the videos uh, and, and you know, like and comment on, do all that to help push them out. You know, all that helps push them out to more people. So, um, well, with that said, let's um, let's get into your story. Um, I, I'm, I know, you know, you're, your story on your channel is, is a bit shorter and usually on here are the interviews go for, you know, an hour. And so I don't know how much time, time you have, but um, maybe we can get. Sure. I've got a lot of time uh, tonight. Okay, great. So, so maybe we can get a little bit more into your story and, and hear some things that maybe you didn't talk about in in your other video, but um, perhaps to start, if you would just kind of talk about, um, I guess, first, how long were you in, in SCJ and then how long have you been out? So I was part of Shinchonji for about seven years. Uh, this was from uh, the end, well, let's say early 2014 until late 2020. Um, I left Shinchonji actually specifically the day that I decided to leave. Uh, it's, it's kind of like a milestone in my life, the 16 October 2020. Uh, that's the day that I finally decided to, you know, kind of completely break ties with ACJ where I was, I broke contact as well. I refused to meet any more leaders or anything like that. So for seven years in total, um, what is the other part of the question again? How long I was so, in ACJ and? Um, I think you answered it. How long were you in and how long have you been out? So you got, remind me again, you got out when was that exactly? October, 2020. So that's about, it's about a year okay. and a half ago. Okay. Yeah. So a year and a half. So it's, in, in the scheme of things, it's fairly fresh. Um, so, how, I mean, yes. how has that been? How has that been th- this year and a half being out? Like, how has that transition uh, been? I would say the first six months was definitely the hardest. 
um, it was very lonely because like SCJ was my whole life. Every, like my, everyone that I cared about was an SCJ. I, I didn't, yeah. I was a very kind of militant SCJ believer. Uh, I was fully convinced of their doctrine. So my whole life was SCJ. I didn't really have anyone that I cared about that I was close with uh, relationship wise outside of SCJ. So when I, when, when me and my sister left, um, we kind of like started making plans for a couple of months before we left. So we started like rebuilding relationships with our family that's outside of SCJ. And we try to kind of find a way to, tr to smoothly transition out of SCJ instead of just leaving and then not knowing what to do at all. Uh, but it was still very difficult. It was extremely lonely. Um, but for me, um, as you've probably picked up on my channel, I'm, I'm not religious anymore. So uh -huh. for me, the, my biggest difficulty that I had experienced was actually transitioning from a religious worldview to a secular worldview. That was actually something that I struggled with a lot more than leaving ACJ. ACJ, um, and that's yeah. So kind of like my struggle was a lot with also the, the transition to a, a secular perspective mm -hmm. um, and kind of trying to kind of make sense of life um and that's pretty much what i struggled with a lot but i was also very lonely i didn't really have any friends it was pretty much just me and my sister at the beginning um and it, yeah it, it was it was hard i also didn't have any finances um there was literally a time where i had no money at all like literally nothing and my sister had a job at the beginning so she kind of took care of me uh, but i didn't have anything and i actually come from a very wealthy family so i had a good life once upon a time before ACJ. So it was kind of difficult for me to leave and not to have any kind of money and physical possessions or anything like that. Um, but luckily, my family helped me and currently I'm doing very well. Like I basically I'm on back on track. Um, but I'm I think I'm a bit of an exception because I come from a very privileged background. So leaving ACJ is much easier for myself than it is for the majority of the other people that I've spoken to so far. Because I think I pretty much have a significantly better life now than I had before ACJ in a very short period of time. Um, and yeah, so I, things are actually going very well. Um, I, but I would say the first six months was, was, was pretty tough. Okay. Well, I know we're, we're kind of, I'm kind of getting ahead of ourselves here because I do want to kind of hear like the initial stages of your story and how you got in, how you got out. But I am, um, I am kind of curious about some of, of that and just, you know, you're emphasizing the difficulty of transitioning from like a, a religious or theistic sort of worldview yes. and perspective of reality to not. And so what, I guess, uh, if you're okay with me asking, like what sure. specifically about that has been difficult? Like, what is it, um, what is it that makes that um, kind of one of the most challenging parts of this? Well, well, I would say um, one of the things where religion always helped me to have a sense of community where when I left ACJ and when I kind of, if you want to call it, deconverted from religion to a secular worldview, I didn't have that sense of community anymore. Uh, I also come from a place in South Africa. I'm, I'm not from Cape Town, but I come from a small city close to Cape Town where the majority of the people from my kind of cultural background are all religious. So I'm a bit of a minority. So I, it's also difficult to openly speak about it. So I'm very open about my secular kind of 
perspective of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is something that's frowned upon. And even my family are very kind of embarrassed about it. They're not very okay. supportive of it, which is, I, I don't have a problem with, but that kind of created a sense of loneliness. But beyond that as well, uh, I, I also had kind of like the, the fear of hell for a while, even though I was no, no longer convinced of like Christian perspective, I still had that kind of fear of like, what if, but that was very short. Um, and to be honest, I actually had that mostly in ACJ. After ACJ, I didn't really have that much of a struggle with that anymore. But it was something like I would have nightmares about like dreaming that I'm dying and then I'm being punished for not believing in a specific yeah. God or choosing the, yeah. the, the wrong religion or something like that. But also, I think a lot of it had to do with purpose. Where as a religious person, I always believed that there was this divine entity that created the universe and that had some kind of plan for me that supported me, that cared about me, that guided me. He's always been there. He cares about me. And then one day I can, when I die, I can go to heaven and I can see the people that I lost earlier in my life, specifically my grandmother. I could see her again. That's a hope that I had. And I didn't want to let go of that. So I wrestled a lot with the idea of letting go of the afterlife. It was something very, very difficult for me, uh, specifically because of my grandmother. So she was like the person that raised me. My mother also raised me, but I was very close with my grandmother and I lost her very early in life. And I always held on to the idea of one day seeing her in heaven. Um, so kind of those types of things were very difficult yeah. for me to let go of because I held on to it for a very long time and it was kind of tied into a lot of painful experiences that I had in life. And now I, I, I didn't know how to deal with my painful experiences. And I also, I was terrified of death. I was terrified of the idea of like, if I die, what's going to happen? I don't really know. Um, as a religious person, I always, I was always a very confident in what I believed, even though my beliefs changed from, you know, jumping from one church to another. Um, I was terrified of accepting the sense of uncertainty where there's my, my perspective currently on life is like a lot of the big questions about like where we come from, why are we here and all of those things pretty much. I don't know. I, I really yeah. don't know. Um, and it was very difficult for me to get to a point where I could acknowledge that and realize, or at least, you know, get to a point where I can say, this is actually my perspective. I wrestled with that idea. I wanted to kind of, there was a point where I, I felt like, I wish I could just indoctrinate myself into believing some stuff again, <laughs> yeah. just so that I can be happier because yeah. I was so depressed. Um, and I kind of had this kind of battle of like valuing, which, what should I value more, truth or happiness? And um, I was always a person that said truth is the most important thing in life. But I got to a point I was so depressed. So I thought, I wish I could just find a way to kind of just convince, convince myself yourself. again. Yeah. Um, even if it's even if it is irrational, um, I wish I could just do that. Um, and I, I wrestled with that for a very long time. It was very hard. And um, yeah, luckily I I joined a, a secular um, group in South Africa. I found a secular group. Uh, online on Facebook, a South African one, which um, it's not in English, it's in Afrikaans, which is my own language. Um, and I met with the, that social gatherings and I, and I met with a lot of people. For the first time in my life, I met people that have been um, secular since they were, like they were raised secular. I'd never, like in my whole life, I'd never met anyone that didn't believe in any gods since they were young. Um, because almost everyone here believes in that kind of stuff. So it was extremely interesting having conversations with those people. And I also, I would speak to people that 
um, professors of science and philosophy and those types of topics um, and had conversations with them. And I, and I got a lot of new perspectives on life, um, which kind of helped me to, to get through it. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty much, I, I, I personally don't have a problem with religion. Uh, I, I mostly have a problem with when religion or even any kind of ideology, whether it's religious or political, where it becomes extremely dogmatic and manipulative. That's, that's those types of uh, things that I like to criticize. And I, I don't think that there should be any perspective, regardless of what it's about, that, that should be accepted without question, simply because it comes from some kind of authority. I think everything should be open for criticism, discussion, debate. Yep. Um, that's pretty much what open-mindedness is about. So Absolutely. That's what I try to promote. If, if you would, let's, let's go ahead and, and let's kind of just start. Um, I'll let you kind of just start at the beginning and just kind of explain how you, you came to be in this uh, SCJ, Shinchanji, in the first place. What was it that led you um, to join this group initially? Yeah, so I was uh, me and my sister and a good friend of ours. We were all leaders in a Pentecostal church in my hometown. Um, and this one friend of ours, she was also like kind of a youth pastor, a youth leader type position. And then she just suddenly disappeared. We didn't know what's going on. She just left the church and she started with this Bible study. So she was the one that was initially recruited to SJ. And I was actually in love with her. Um, I wanted to get married to her. And back then I was also convinced that God had, I had some dreams and stuff like that. So I was convinced that God had chosen this woman for me to get married to. So I took it very seriously. Um, and yeah, so she was pretty much, she invited us to this kind of like Bible seminar that we attended. Um, initially I wasn't interested in it. I thought it was very rudimentary in the way that they explained the Bible. I thought it was silly. I, I didn't really take it very seriously, but, uh, later on she continuously, she was kind of like adamant that we should do this. We should do this. And then she, she introduced me to a, a BB teacher, a, a, a Bible teacher from ACJ. I didn't know it was ACJ. They, they told me back then it was the organization that they used was para Cristo. I think it's Portuguese for, for Christ. Um, that's the organization that they used during the early stages of South Africa. So uh, ACJ South Africa's uh, development when it started. Um, and I met with him and I was very intrigued by the way that he was able to answer my questions and explain the Bible using the Bible and connecting verses together. So I was always a person that I, 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 I love to study the Bible. I was, I was, I was extremely zealous Christian. I was a big fan of uh, John MacArthur and Paul Washer. They were my okay. two favorite pastors that I like watching yeah. online. Um, and yeah, I was, I, was, I was constantly studying. I was trying to make sense of the book of Revelation. I was extremely confused by it. Um, and also the parables were also confusing to me. And um, when I had, uh, now I met this ACJ BB teacher and I just thought, you know, it seems like this guy knows what he's talking about and he, he makes it very simplistic. Um, and it seems like he has answers for everything and not that he gave in depth answers, but it was as if topics that I thought were complicated, he explained very simplistically and he didn't use any notes or anything. He just opened the Bible and it felt like he knew every single verse out of his head. So I, I, I had a BB teacher that was very, very knowledgeable. So a lot of the BB teachers are not really that knowledgeable. I was just, they specifically chose a person for me because they knew that I was very knowledgeable in the Bible, they chose someone that could kind of like handle me, you could say like that. 
Um, so I was, I was the thing that kind of got me there was their explanation of the Bible. I was fascinated by it, and I quickly became convinced that it's the end times, and that you know we should recruit or we should get more people to join this Bible study. I didn't even know that it was ACJ yet, so I ended up, um, you know, without being fully aware of what's going on, I recruited my my mother and my sister. And Sean as well, my, my, my best friend, the one that shared his okay. destiny on my channel as well. Yeah, um, he blamed me for it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In a joking um, manner, of course, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, and also quite a few other people from the church that attended before SJ, we, we recruited them as well. Um, so it's quite, I think there was like more than 10 of us of that church that joined SJ. Most of us also became leaders later on. Um, but... I, I, I wasn't very, I wasn't suspicious. Um, you know, ACJ, they also, when they recruit people, they sometimes have maintainers, which is basically like ACJ people that pretend like they're students. So they're basically spies that are, that join the classes. Mm -hmm. When I joined ACJ, none of those things existed. They were actually also oh, really? fairly quickly. They told us about ACJ. So, but back then, because they didn't use all of their, the, the deceptive tactics that they use now, um, a lot of people dropped out. So I think we started off with like, we were like 25 people in our class. And by the time that we finished the course, there was only out of the 25, there was only eight people left. Um, and so during that time, because they were very open, they, they didn't tell us about ACJ at the beginning, but it like, I think it was like after two to three months, they already told us about ACJ. Where later on, we would, you know, I think it's only about, six to seven months into the recruitment process, we would tell people about ACJ. Um, so, you know, we didn't, when I was recruited, we didn't really have, those tactics weren't really used yet. It was still very small, so there wasn't really enough people to do all of that. Um, but also, like, when I, when we started studying Revelation, it didn't make much sense to me. Um, it was It was very confusing. But that was mostly because the person that was teaching us was a South African person, that was very inexperienced when it comes to teaching ACJ doctrine. So the person couldn't explain it very well. It was a woman that taught us. She actually later died of cancer. Um, I was, I became very close with her, but um, I, Mani Lee has written some books uh, about ACJ doctrine and I got those books and I read through them. They were translated into English. And that was the kind of, that was the thing that fully convinced me the books because the people's explanations were, it wasn't bad, but the books were much better for me. So the books were the things that convinced me. Um, my mother and my sister, the day that you join the church, where you kind of go from the Bible study to when you become a, a member of the church and you start attending at the church building their services, they call that Passover. So that day that we passed over, my sister and my mother, they thought it was a cult and they wanted to leave. I was the one, I was also a bit freaked out by the whole culture thing, but um, I was the one that convinced them all to stay. So I was actually the one that recruited them, and I was also the one that kept them there. Um, so I was pretty much the, you know, the, the central figure that did all the stuff. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but I, I mean, I was convinced of the doctrine. Um, the doctrine made a lot of sense to me. Um, it made more sense to me than the other doctrines that I've come across in Christianity. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So how, how do you perceive that now as far as the doctrine when you look at it? And um, I, don't, I don't know if you've maybe even given it much thought at this point, but when you compare it to what you see in the Bible 
do you still see that as, as in your mind, the best sort of representation of the Bible as it really is? Or do you see now it more in the sense of that the doctrine of the SCJ is uh, erroneous? Well, I mean, of course, because I don't believe the Bible is inspired and it's some kind of divine truth, I haven't really put in much effort to try to find fault with SCJ's doctrine. Um, mm -hmm. my, my reason why I left mostly had to do because I stopped believing in God and the Bible. And anything that came from the Bible to me was pretty much just people debating ancient language, which I wasn't that interested in. I, I felt like there's, there's no point. It's like, it's like the equivalent of people debating the meaning of Shakespeare. Like, I, I don't care. It doesn't matter anything to me. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not really the best person to, uh, to be able to yep. kind of give some kind of uh, yeah. answer yeah, to yeah. that. Um, but I, I think I made a video on Revelation 7 once where I think that the Revelation 7 doctrine, um, the way that they teach Revelation 7, what they said is going to happen and what actually happened, that those things don't correspond. And that's something that I think that there's a bit of a flaw in. Um, but yeah, besides that, um, I, I don't think that they have, I think that they've got, they, they have a way of simplifying the Bible a lot so that to a lot of people, it, it makes sense. Mm. Um, but since I have a scientific worldview now, I, I, I haven't really had that much interest to try to kind of find the meaning of the Bible. Uh, that, that makes sense, something yeah. that has interested me that much. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So what, what do you think it was of that initially drew you to join? Like what uh, was it, was it that aspect of, was it really, did it just come down to how they, they explained the Bible? Was it just their, their way of explaining the doctrine that drew you? Yeah, I think, well, the, I, I kind of belonged to a, the church that I belonged to before ACJ were very kind of like motivational and they were very kind of focused on like being happy and living a good life. And they didn't really go deeply into doctrine. So that's why I kind of, I studied a lot of, um, a lot of the, my doctrinal beliefs that I held before ACJ didn't come from the church that I belonged to, but it came from pastors that I had listened to online. So I kind of had a craving for having a deep understanding of the scriptures. But there was stuff like some figurative words, like when you when you read like the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah, a lot of that kind of metaphors, it was very confusing to me. And I couldn't find clear answers. And the way that ACJ explained it to me, it just felt like it's so simplistic. I like the simplicity behind it. Um, that was one of the things that kind of drew me to them, their simplicity. And also the fact that they had this kind of like dictionary, that like where they will like say this figurative word means this. And when you understand the meaning of all of those words they teach you, when you read the book of Revelation, it starts to make more sense. But I think one of the things that I, I liked about ACJ's doctrine is the fact that their lessons are connected. So they, they have like, they'll, they'll teach you various types of frigative lessons and then later of Revelation chapter 1, 2, 3, 4. But the way that they could connect the things together so that it seems to flow naturally and how everything seems to be connected, I really like that. It kind of made sense to me. It's not just a specific book that made sense, but the entire Bible, like the bigger picture of it, started to make a lot more sense to me. Um, yeah, that so sounds, I, I was, I, you know. Sorry, I was just going to say that sounds eerily similar to the World Mission Society Church of God. And, and mm. I think what probably many members of, of, 
of that group would also say is it, it you know, it, it, they seem at least um, they're good at making it appear as if they, they have this really uh, intricate and profound way of explaining the Bible. And so I think that does, that does uh, convince people. Yeah. I guess how did, um, so you joined, you kind of, um, you joined and got mm. a, a good number of people in there. Um, yes. But how, I guess, how did it, do you see that it impacted you as a person? Did it, um, did it change you? Did it change you in good ways or, or um, because, you know, I think one of the things that cults do is they, you know, they, they really take away in, in most cases a person's um, self-identity. They, they, they basically, in, in, in many ways, similar to how, you know, uh, a military will do it with, soldiers is kind of mm. break them down, yeah. take away their, their sense of self and then rebuild them into who and what they want them to be. Yeah. So did you, do you feel like looking back now, you, do you feel like that sort of thing happened um, to you? Yeah, to some extent, I think um, I, I can share like good and bad things that I learned from ACJ. I think that one of the things, of course, because I was a leader in ACJ, I had a very different experience than a lot of other people that were much lower in structure because the higher I moved up in structure, the more things I could control. So like I was the, the leader of, of, a, of Namibia, the country, ACJ in that country. So I could basically, the culture was pretty much determined by myself to, to some extent. Um, so it was very different for myself and for most other people. But ACJ learned or taught me to work really, really hard. I, I really learned what it means to sacrifice and to work really hard, which is currently very beneficial for my career. Um, but of course, you know, I sacrificed for, you know, ACJ's goals, which is you know, completely different to what I'm doing now. Um, I, I also learned to, to be, a, a, I think, leading people. I, I, I didn't have much life experience. I think I was about 22, 23 when I joined ACJ. So I learned a lot of life skills, like how to lead people, how to communicate, but there were some bad things as well, because you learn to kind of trick people and to make them feel guilty if they don't obey you. Um, you become very good at manipulating people, making them feel bad for not obeying the structure and, um, you know, to get them to do what you want. You, be, you become very convincing. So I think I became a very good manipulator, uh, which I was embarrassed about when I had realized, you know, what actually had happened to me. I was always a person that tried to maintain integrity for a big part of my life and tried to kind of stand up for what's right. And that whole sense of, you know, having integrity and being honest and um, standing up for what's right, I pretty much lost over time to the point where I was afraid of, you know, some cases I would obey my leaders, even though I disagreed, but I would obey because I was afraid if I didn't, I would lose my duty or I would be labeled as a, you know, a goat-like believer that's disobedient or something like that. So. Yeah. That I was, I, I've always been a person that um, if, if, if there's 100 people that do something that's wrong, I'll, I, I, I would be the person that would stand up and tell them all that they're wrong. And I don't care if they disagree with me. I would you know, kind of be in your face in that sense. Um, and in ACJ, I kind of got to a point where I conformed and I was, I was pretty much a coward um, because I, you know, like, for example, I think I shared it in my testimony video as well. It was one time that I was told that I need to command someone in the church to get an abortion. And I didn't feel comfortable with it. I thought it was wrong what I was doing. Um, I didn't feel it was the right thing. 
Um, but I just obeyed because I was afraid that I would lose my duty if I didn't do it. Um, mm -hmm. So that kind of progressively happened to me to a point where I became like, a, you know, as you could say, pretty much like a robot. Um, and yeah, so I, I spent a lot of time, I think, because I stopped believing, I, I would say, well, more than a year before I left SEJ, I stopped believing already. Um, and I focused a lot of time on trying to rebuild my character. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, yep. it was it was definitely there was a there was a knock that I took there. Um, but I also took you know I took good things from it as well. Um, I tried to kind of turn all my bad experiences into something good and see how it could benefit yep. my life currently. Yeah. So maybe talk talk more about that because I. I would assume that now would you would you identify SCJ as a cult? Would you put that label on it? Yes. So I actually I wanted to talk about that because like a lot of people mm -hmm. debate this concept of calling SCJ a cult. Like um, I'm not talking about outside of SCJ, but when when SCJ like kind of has has discussions with people outside of SCJ about this, it a lot of it has has to do with the misunderstanding of language usage. So. Um, from ACJ's point of view, when they speak about a cult, they will usually, they will kind of define the Bible and the God of the Bible as orthodoxy, what he has revealed as orthodoxy. And of course, they're convinced that they have the true interpretation, so that's orthodoxy. And that anything that goes against the true interpretation of the Bible is heresy. People that follow it and live it out, that's heresy or that is cultish. So from their point of view, they are the only true orthodoxy and that everyone outside of their organization is a cult. That's kind of the way that they define it. But of course, for myself, I will say ACJ is a cult, but it's, I, I wouldn't say it's because it's nothing to do with the Bible. Uh, I, to me, the, it has nothing to do, it's my definition is not, in, because their definition is more theological, where my definition is more psychological. And that's kind of the right. common definition that a lot of people use, where a cult is like a high control group. And it's kind of, mm -hmm. it's ca characterized by indoctrination, manipulation, exploitation, you know, those types of things. Um, so I would label ACJ as a high control group. So a cult in that sense, their definition of, if they say that a cult is an organization that doesn't follow the truth of God, like that makes no sense to me because I don't even believe in any God. So that's not really something that, I don't use that definition. I'm fine if they use that. But uh, I, I think there's sometimes a lot of misunderstandings when people debate about cults with ACJ because ACJ defines it differently. But once again, when there's religious people that debate ACJ on it, it, from my point of view, it's simply two different religious groups having different interpretations of an ancient book. They can debate it out. I'm honestly, I'm not too much interested in that. They can, you know, they can fight that battle. That's not something that I believe, and I don't adhere to those definitions. Uh, but I would, yes, I would label ACJ as a cult. And I think on my channel as well, I added some videos about their recruitment process. I'm still busy with, with, with content for that. Um, but if you, if you look at the way that they recruit, um, they ultimately create an environment where you cannot, you don't have the power and freedom to discern for yourself. They create an environment of deception, indoctrination, manipulation. And that's pretty much already from their recruitment process already, you can see how they're a cult in a psychological sense. Um, but also, of course, in, inside as well, I, I, I do consider them you know, to function as a, as a cult. So I kind of adhere to a similar definition to, I think, what's that guy's name? 
Stephen Hassan, Hassan. Dr. Stephen yeah, Hassan, yeah. something like that. Yeah. So that kind of uh, his definition is also pretty much in line with modern day, you know, psychology. That's uh, you know, a cult is a high control group. So of course, people add further explanations of it, but I kind of adhere to the uh, high control group definition. Yes. Okay. So, so yeah, that makes sense. The difference between defining it as a cult based on theological reasons or or more psychological reasons, and and um, yes. So, so apart from like the recruitment process, do you have or could you talk about examples that you you saw and and how SCJ functions um, that that would kind of be a specific examples of um, like Steve. Hassan's bite model um, and just how, how some of those things played into um, how the SCJ functions. Do you have examples of that? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, I mean, I had numerous cases and of course this is my experience as a leader, but I had numerous cases where I would be instructed, like I was the church head of Namibia church. And back then my leader was the, the church head of Cape Town church. Um, but I would also sometimes have to report to the headquarters of the tribe, which was in Wanju in South Korea. But there would also be cases where, um, so the kind of the headquarters of the tribe is considered higher than the church heads, uh, like the, the leaders of the headquarters, generally speaking. But there would be cases where I would receive an instruction. Like, for example, I once received an instruction from a leader in Cape Town that um, we should get, so they, they, there were these tests that we had to write these revelation tests that were given by money Lee. And he said that these tests are going to show who's sealed. So we thought that the people that passed this test, they will be the 144,000 in revelation seven. So we took it very seriously. And we also told there shouldn't be any cheating that God will know if there's cheating. You cannot rewrite. It's a once off test. You know, this is, this is God's standard. And then what happened, I received instruction from a leader in Cape Town that communicated with the headquarters. Um, and the headquarters communicated through this Korean person, which is kind of like a translator for me, said that we should get the people in Namibia, those that fail the test, they need to rewrite and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite until they get at least 90, 97% average. And the reason why we should do this, even though this was against God's instruction or Money Lee's instruction, uh, was so that Philip tribe can have the highest average of all the tribes. So I was in a tribe that always wanted to be number one in everything. Um, and so I received this instruction. I didn't feel comfortable with it because Mani Lee said not to do it, but they said we should do it. And then they told me that I shouldn't report this to my leader in Cape Town, the church head, because if he knows, then God will hold him accountable. But I thought, but you, God, God will hold me accountable as well if you're telling me to do it. <laughs> right. What are you talking about? But so I did end up doing it. And then later what happened is that some other, my leader found out what I had done. I thought I was doing the right thing because it came from the Philip tribe leader that communicated to someone in Cape Town. Um, but then they, the, the church in Cape Town, he told me, he asked me who told me to do that. And I told him later on who told me. And then this person that actually told me it was a woman. She denied it. She said she didn't tell me. And then she rebuked me saying that I'm a goat and the devil is using me and stuff like that. Um, so I, I had that maybe not a good example, but I had numerous cases where I would receive different instructions from people. And then later on, they will kind of, uh, because you'll sometimes have high leaders that kind of 
they try to fight who's really in control of the church. And they kind of, in, in deceptive ways, give different instructions. And then later, if the other leader tries to find out who gave you that instruction, the, the other leader will just say, it wasn't me. You know, what are you talking about? So they'll just deny giving you instructions. So I sometimes felt like I was a puppet, that there are these two higher leaders giving me different instructions. And then afterwards, when they want to start fighting, the one just pretends like he didn't tell me. anything, And then I was just to blame. Um, so there were numerous cases that I was almost replaced for things that I simply, I just obeyed. And I thought I was doing you know, God's work because you have to obey the structure. That's what a true believer does. Um, so those kind of cases that was, was very hard for me. Um, but of course, from a moral perspective, um, the fact that they would sometimes tell people to get an abortion, I, I had a problem with that. And also the way that they're very controlling of, of romantic relationships to the point where you, you have to get permission. Um, there are cases where, you know, uh, if you want to, if you like someone, you want to date them, they'll just say you can't date them. And there's sometimes not a reason you just can't. It, and it's all about, you just need to trust God. There was a case as well for myself. They try to force me, you know, so that, to kind of go back to what I said earlier, I was in love with the woman that recruited me. And then later, because she also lied to me a lot in the whole recruitment process, I was kind of upset with her that I stopped liking her and I could never look at her in the same way again. But then later they try to force me to get married to her, even to the point where they tricked me. They asked me to come to Cape Town and she was in Durban and they asked her to, to come to Cape Town as well. They, they told me that when I came to Cape Town that it's for a meeting. And then, but I didn't come for a meeting. I actually came to meet her, which I didn't know. I only found it out later. Um, they gave me money. I had to go out on the dates with her and stuff like that. And I was instructed to ask her to get married off in two days. Um, and I refused because from the beginning, I refused to even meet her to begin with. Uh, but so it was basically unconsensual. Um, and yeah, I was told that if I don't get married to her, I'll lose my duty. Um, and I refused. I, I, I got to a point where I was like, it's okay. I'll lose my duty. I don't want to be forced to get married to someone that I'm not in love with. And after two days, that's ridiculous. I, I hardly even, I mean, I, I knew her from a long time ago, but I think it was like for more than four years, we had hardly even seen each other. So it made no sense to me. Why would you just get married in two days? It makes no sense. Um, and I was told I'm a goat and like I'm being used by the devil and stuff like that. So they always have these kind of tactics where they make you feel guilty for not doing what they want you to do. Right. Um, and that was, that was something that was, that I was, of course, I struggled with that a lot. Um, and there was also the case with my mother that um, they tried to uh, get her to get a lot of money from my dad uh, and then to buy a church building for ACJ. And then the leader that actually gave the feedback to my mother later, she said, no, she didn't say that. And then, you know, she, she also, she would also lie about some of the feedback that she gave to my mother. Um, but my mother was at a point where even now she'll just she'll just cover all of that up. Um, they'll they'll just cover everything up as if it didn't happen. And these things happen continuously. Um, and it's it's yeah it's to me it was I it bothered me, but I I, I didn't stop believing because of those things. I just thought oh, these people are just doing their own thing. But mm -hmm. you know, I still believe in the God of ACJ. I still, I still believe in you know the promised pastor money, me, and the promised kingdom, Shinchanji, and stuff like that. Um, but these things bothered me. There was continuously these types of things that yeah. that happened. Um, but yeah, and I, I mean, I, I would say that um, when it comes to their recruitment process, the most deceptive part of their recruitment process is when they use maintainers. When they get when they 
fill a half of the class with people that are already in SJ, where they pretend that they're students and they're constantly gathering information about you and reporting it uh, to the Xinjiangji teachers and leaders so they can use it to kind of convince you that SJ is true. Um, and uh, they, they do it in a very deceptive way. Of course, from their point of view, it's, they think that it's needed because everyone is being controlled by the devil. Like um, a righteous but, lie or something like that. Yes. You know, they think that, you know, they're, they're, because everyone is deceived, uh, it is justified to, to use. To deceive um, them. <laughs> they'll call it wisdom, but uh, it's pretty much okay. just lies. Yeah. Yeah. They just call it, they call it wisdom, wisdom of hiding, something like that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a level of, of just blatant lying and deception that you don't even necessarily see in the World Mission Society Church of God. I mean, they, they, they use deception and, and lying in their own ways, but it's, it's definitely not as like in your face and obvious as the SCJ. It's, it's just, mm. it, it's, it's, it's just one of those things where, you know, to somebody like myself on the outside looking in makes me wonder how, how do members see that? How do they see such obvious immoral and just um yeah deceptive manipulative behaviors how do they see that and practice it and then still go on and i i guess what it just shows is just how how deeply uh powerful just i mean probably any kind but just religious and even the Bible can be can be just used as this this tool to really control people and to to um, you know if you, if you put yeah. if you put the will of God as the the um, kind of the foundation of what you're doing it's like you can convince people to do anything um, if you convince them that this is this is the will of their God and that that's yes yeah it's, it's just it's um, concerning and, and unfortunate. Um, but yeah, th- it's definitely a whole other level um, in, in that regard, at least in, in the blatant deception. Yeah. Um, okay. So what, um, I guess, yeah. what were some of the things that began to make you really um, doubt? Uh, what, what were some of the things, obviously these things bothered you uh, that you were seeing? What was it that yeah, I guess got you to the point where you are now. Well, this was, I think, starting about late 2018. Um, that was where there was a church head, the former church head of South Africa Church. Um, he went through a bit of a dip uh, mentally and spiritually, if you want to say like that, where his wife died. The, his wife passed away. She was the one that taught me revelation when I was a, a center student. Um, and he went through a dip difficult time and um there was also i could kind of see there's you know something not well with him and he's starting it appeared that he was doubting and those types of things um and he started doing like education for the theology workers the theology workers are the people that teach the center course um i was also a theology worker at that time and he asked us uh he was you know he was speaking to us about like scientific evidence for god and for the bible and those types of things and he said that we should also develop material for some of us, he asked us to kind of do some research, develop material um, to kind of prove to, to unbelievers um, that God exists and Christianity is true, the Bible is true, and then kind of mm-hmm. set up a process where you can eventually get them into SJ. Because in Korea, they recruit people, non-religious people as well. 
And we were basically told that we should try to do that in the overseas countries as well, because we can't just recruit Christians. We should recruit any type of person. We should become so skilled that we can convince any type of person from any kind of background. Um, and that's pretty much where my journey started. Um, I was a person that kind of, um, I was really into Christian apologetics earlier in my life. But when you join ACJ, you're not really allowed to study that type of stuff because it's all considered, you know, man's thoughts. And, you know, it's from Babylon. Any, any kind of teaching is the maddening mind of adultery from Babylon. That's kind of how they phrase it. Um, so I was kind of excited that I'd received permission to kind of look into that stuff again. Um, and that's the, the, one of the first things that I did is I, I kind of, um, I, I did a, 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 I studied an apologetics course by William Lane Craig. There's like this kind of apologetics course that he, that he explains everything. And um, mm -hmm. he was constantly speaking about atheism and logic and science and those types of things. Um, but I was kind of curious to look at it from a different perspective. And he was constantly speaking about critical thinking saying that, you know, a common claim that atheists or people from a secular worldview say about religious people is that they don't know how to think critically. And I heard this continuously, and I was like, but I think we do. Like, we think, you know, we do it really well. Um, so I thought, okay, before I go too deep into apologetics or anything, maybe rather first start with something basic, like studying logic and critical thinking or something in that regard. Um, and... Yeah, I, I studied critical thinking. Uh, I, I got a lot of books. I did the online course as well. Um, there's actually an American organization. It's called the Foundation for Critical Thinking. I think it's in Los Angeles. Um, and that's where I learned about logical fallacies and cognitive biases. I also learned about manipulation. Um, I learned different things that I'd never heard about before. Mm. Um, and this is pretty much the starting point of myself becoming a skeptic of, of things. Um, and I started demanding evidence for everything. I was still a Christian, of course, but, um, this changed everything because now I realized, you know, we have this natural confirmation bias. So as I go further, I can't just look at Christian stuff. I have to look at both sides. And this is something that I haven't really properly done in my life. Um, I have looked at other perspectives, but I, I always, I was always leaning towards Christianity. I was always trying to reinforce it. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I studied a bunch of philosophy and I studied some science and um, I can't remember the order of exactly what I studied when, but it kind of got to a point where I, 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 I doubted everything about God and the Bible. And I hated the feeling because I was terrified because now I'm this church head in ACJ that I have to constantly teach people the Bible and I don't even believe in this book anymore. And I was like, Laurie, you, you, I was kind of telling myself inside, Laurie, you went too far. So I was finding a way to kind of undo what I had done to myself. And I just didn't know how. Um, so I kind of went through gaps where I would just like for a couple of weeks, I wouldn't, you know, research or study any further. I would just, just relax and be like, okay, I just need to find a way to believe this again. Um, but so it kind of got to a point I just couldn't. Yeah. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I, I just I want to point out something there that I think is really important because I think um, religious people, whether, you know, my, even myself, you know, a number of years ago, like I would have heard of, of a person deconverting from Christianity or, mm. or moving into a place of no longer believing in the, the legitimacy of the Bible and would have yes. this immediate perspective of, oh, well, there's something wrong with their 
you know, heart. There's something mm. sinful. They're just, they're just yeah. really wanting to pursue a life of sin or something of that nature. And I think, I think yeah. even to people watching this video who are going to watch this, will probably hear you, people hear you deconverted will kind of have that sort of immediate, like guttural response uh, of having this yeah. oh, as if they've got you nailed immediately. Like, Oh, well he must yeah. have these evil motives. And I just like that. That's mm. something that people don't think about that for you mm. beginning to enter into this experience. It wasn't, it, not only was it something that you didn't want to happen to yourself, but you were, you were fighting to, to, to not, to not go to that place as you were kind of yes, losing this, absolutely. as you were losing this sort of um, perspective of the Bible, you were very uncomfortable yeah. with it. It wasn't something that you were just, you know, willfully choosing because you wanted to pursue some sort of, you know, evil lifestyle mm. or something. And so I just, I just think that's, that's sort of a, a, a fallacious sort of assumption that so many people have that I, I even used to have. Um, and I just, I hope that people can, can see and understand that that's, that's mm. just not the case with, with so many people like yourself who, who kind of go down the, the road that you've, you've ended up going down. Um, that it's not because yeah. of some sort of, you know, questionable motives. It's just, it's, it sounds like it really was what was happening to you was just because you were learning mm. about critical thinking, what it is. And, and that ultimately led you to certain conclusions um, that you couldn't really, yeah. you know, you couldn't control even necessarily. So, so sorry, yeah. sorry to cut you off, but I just kind of wanted to, to yeah, yeah. make that disclaimer, I guess, to people. So. Mm -hmm. yeah, thank you for saying that. I, I perfectly agree with what you just said. Um, yeah. So I fought really hard to try to maintain my belief uh, not specifically in ACJ, but just in the Christian God. Like I, I, I got to a point where I thought, if I continue with this path, I won't just leave ACJ, I'll leave religion. And that's kind of another step on top of ACJ, which was extremely scary to me. Um, the most uncomfortable and scary topic was, um, it's actually one of the first topics that I, I started looking at. I tried to find evidence for a soul or a spirit, like some kind of uh, immaterial uh, component of a human being. Um, and yeah, the more I studied, the, the less I, I, I kind of struggled to believe in it. And that was the scariest thing to me because that had, you know, strong implications, which is basically that if that's the case, then we're not these precious creatures created in the image and likeness of God. And it seems like there's no afterlife. And that sucked because I had a big hope of seeing my grandmother one day. Um, of course, in ACJ, um, we believe that we won't die physically, but rather that God and the spirits of heaven will come to the earth and we'll live eternally uh, in a kind of glorified body on the earth. And that the people that have died, like my grandmother, I might see her one day on, on earth again. Uh, but either way, I was, I, I kind of struggled with the idea of letting go of that. Um, and I kind of got to a point where I couldn't unlearn the stuff that I've learned. Um, and I, I personally, I just, I tried to find a sound deductive argument or a cogent inductive argument for supernatural existence, a, meaning the existence of anything that is transcendent, independent of the natural world. And I could not find one single argument for that. And that terrified me um, to a point where I felt I, I didn't immediately deconvert, 
But I got to a point where in ACJ, I wasn't comfortable speaking about religious things anymore. I didn't want to teach their center course anymore. So I kind of, I was still church head. So I kind of delegated other people to take over a lot of my duties to a point where I would literally go to the church building every day and I would just study science and logic and apologetics and stuff like that. But I didn't really do much. I, I didn't meet with the leaders anymore. I, I hardly did anything um, uh, for the church still. And I did this for a long time and no one even realized. But I think luckily it, it came at a very good time because during that time we also had uh, like the, the, the coronavirus lockdown where um, it was in, in Namibia, I had a very short lockdown, I think it was for like two weeks. But even before that, there was lockdown in, in, in many of the other countries. So there wasn't much happening in ACJ. So I kind of had a lot of freedom to just do whatever I want. I didn't really have to report much. So it kind of came at a very good time for me. Um, but I kind of just progressively felt more uncomfortable teaching ACJ's doctrine. Um, and yeah, it, it, it just it just pretty much happened progressively over time. And one of the things that shocked me uh, was that ACJ have very little knowledge when it comes to trying to demonstrate the existence of the God that they believe in and the validity of the Bible. Uh, that's not really something that they know well. When you look at like their educational material, it's all based on the idea of someone already believing in God and the Bible. Uh, but when it comes to actually trying to convince someone of those foundational beliefs, they're terrible at it. Uh, and, and maybe there, there could be some people in Korea, but I spoke with people even at the tribe headquarters and there was literally like one of the education department leaders, he literally said, he cannot prove that God exists. You just need to have faith. And that shocked me. I, I was like, I, 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 I was so shocked that, you know, he couldn't even answer or give me a, a, some kind of evidence or something. Um, and yeah, so I, I actually, I, I, I started becoming very sad because I kind of hoped like at the end, I expressed to them that I no longer believe in God and the Bible. And the, they put almost no effort in to try to convince me of God and the Bible. All that they did is that they spoke about like my childhood and some difficulties I went through and some bad emotional experiences as if that's the reason why I don't believe. And when I asked them questions about God's existence and the validity of the Bible, they just sidetracked to another topic um, and they just told me to have faith. And I told them, but you know, you would never say this in front of like a church member. You would never say, just have faith. You would tell them you need to perceive, you need to understand fully what's going on. That's why you need to believe. That's how we taught it. We taught that they always, there should be evidence for everything, but it's just, Topics that are convenient to them. The other stuff, they just kind of don't really uh, answer directly. So I was just, I, I was just shocked by how little effort they put in to try to convince me once again. And I think it was pretty much after about two weeks, they just gave up. Um, and they started getting people to block me. Um, and I was, I was really hurt because I felt like no one cares about what's actually true. I'm simply asking questions. I didn't make the claim that God doesn't exist. I simply said, I'm personally not convinced and I'm just trying to look for evidence again. I'm not finding it. Can you please provide it for me? Please give it to me. Um, or let, let's have a discussion about it at least. We don't need to fight. Mm -hmm. you don't, and then they'll constantly tell you you're arrogant, you're a goat. And yeah. even my mother, they got my mother to like meet me as well. And she told me that I'm exalting myself above God and those types of things. I told her, I'm, I, I yeah. don't even believe in yeah. God. That makes no sense to me to say that. Um, 
yeah, so it was quite sad the way that it turned out. Hmm. And um, yeah, I pretty much, I, I would say over a progression of about a year, a year and a half, I completely stopped believing in any supernatural things. And uh, yeah, I, I actually, I, I started, I, I started writing a, a book <laughs> about like uh, um, some of my experiences. I, I think I've written uh -huh. about 150 pages. Um, and it, it actually, it, in part of the book, it includes all the major arguments uh, for supernatural existence uh, over the last, about, let's say, two and a half thousand years that has been developed and kind of a, a modern day scientific and logical response to it. Um, but do you have plans yeah, to publish so I, this book? I, I'm, I'm still very interested in this. Yeah, maybe one day. I, I wouldn't publish it anytime soon. I've, I've still okay. have quite a lot to learn. Um, I have very little con confidence in my current perspectives in comparison with what I had when I was religious. I don't have a high degree of certainty in almost anything anymore. Um, so I think I'll, I'll, I'll need a bit more time to kind of just make sure that what I what I write that I that I'm in, or that I'm you know have a high degree of confidence in anything like that. Yeah. So maybe one day when I'm much much older. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So when you when you kind of acknowledged that you didn't believe in God and the Bible, their response was to begin to just kind of cut you off. Yes, they they tried to to meet me at the beginning, but they made everything about feelings, my emotions, as if I have some kind of emotional pain, and that's why I don't believe. And that was very frustrating because the more I told them that. You know, I, I explained to them my journey um, about, you know, what I've researched and studied. And, you know, now I'm, I, I'm looking for evidence. The more I explain this, the more they try to convince me that that's not the reason why I don't believe. Um, which I was like, but that is, what are you talking about? You can't read my mind. What are you talking about? Um, and it was, it was, it was actually a, a funny story. My sister, um, she, I think it was about three to four months before we officially left um she was still someone that kind of believed but i could also see that she's starting to doubt as well um i called her one day because i had like kept the secret of me being a non-believer for a long time and my sister was the first person i opened up to so i called my sister one day um i was in namibia she was in south africa and i told her shanae i don't believe in god anymore and i don't think the bible is actually the inspired word of god and she was just freaked out she was just silent. She, she didn't know what to say. And then um, I just started explaining. I told her about everything that I had learned about. I gave her a summary, and she was really freaked out. She said she needed time. And uh, she also, after that, you know, she started looking into some of the stuff that I said. And she came to a, a similar conclusion to myself uh, after, you know, I think a month or so. Um, but be, she was the one that we kind of planned it um, so that, I, I didn't tell people that I don't believe anymore while I was in Namibia. I first came to South Africa and then I told the people here because I was afraid that if I do it in Namibia, then they will immediately like alert everyone and think that, you know, there's like Satan's work is in the church. One of the church it is betraying and, you know, they'll just, because they're paranoid when it comes to a leader that stopped believing, everyone freaks out. And I didn't want that kind of chaos in my life. So I just kept it a secret and no one ever picked it up. I, I only told them much later, but my sister, she told them that she doesn't believe anymore about, I think, a month or two before me. Um, and 
the person that met her, that tried to convince her again, he actually did feedback with me, thinking that I still believe, um, which is funny because, you know, meanwhile, back at the ranch, I actually also didn't believe. And I was chatting with my, also understood it because we were part of it. But um, even the leaders that met my sister, they would like try to convince her that the reason why she doesn't believe is because um, you know, she has a desire to get married, so the devil is using the spirit of lust and stuff like that. They constantly made everything wow. about emotions. It even got to a point where they asked her, please set up questions that you have. And actually, me and her, we met, and uh, just online because we weren't in the same country, but we set up some questions, and they were mostly philosophical or scientific questions. And she presented it to the theology leader in Cape Town. And he couldn't answer any of the questions, like literally couldn't answer any of them. He tried to get the answers from me. Oh, oh sorry, the connection wait. broke, I think. That's okay. I dropped you for a second, but we're back. Yeah. Um, what was the last thing that I said? Was it about my sister meeting the theology leader? Yes. Yeah. So my sister met this theology leader and then she presented all the questions that me and her had, but she presented it as her questions because back then they didn't know that I also stopped believing. I still was keeping it a secret. Um, he couldn't answer any of her questions. And he actually, he contacted me asking me, do I know the answers? <laughs> and I, 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 I suggested to him to speak to the tribe headquarters because I wanted to see what information they have as well. But I also told him he should study some apologetics. Um, and then because he said he doesn't know, like he doesn't know. We ask questions about like cosmology and stuff like that, about the cause of existence. And he was just, he didn't know. Yeah. Um, and one of the confusing things, because I also picked this up because ACJ doesn't speak about scientific topics that much. But when I left, I asked a lot of the leaders about evolution, like their perspective of evolution, because Money Lee accepts microevolution, but he rejects macroevolution. However, there were some of the leaders in the church, they're doctors, medical doctors, that they accept macroevolution. So I asked them, why do you accept it, but he rejects it? And they didn't even know that he, they at the beginning said, no, he accepts it as well. So I showed them an article that shows that he rejects it. And they were so confused, they didn't even know. Um, so I kind of also picked up some of that kind of uh, stuff as well, where they were kind of confused, because those are not topics they talk about. So SEJ seems very united when it comes to certain topics because they're constantly teaching people that in the church. But if you were to gather, let's say you gather like um, a thousand people in SEJ or perhaps even less, like a hundred, and you were to ask them questions about like biological evolution and maybe let's say um, ethical dilemmas like abortion or something like that, you'll find that they're very much divided. They're not united because they don't teach those topics in the church. Um, and they kind of avoid that. They'll find out from the leaders what is SEJ's perspective, and then they'll, they'll say, okay, that's my perspective as well. They won't think for themselves. Um, and this is a common thing for, you know, for those types of topics. But, um, yeah, the leaders, I mean, they, they couldn't really answer the questions at all. And they also try to convince my sister that it's emotional reasons. I try to tell the leaders it's not emotional. She's just asking questions about God's existence. Please try to answer it. And they, they constantly said, no, that's not the case. They know her spirit. They know her heart, you know, those sorts of things, as if they can read minds. And that, that frustrated me a lot because I felt like, you know, you can't read minds. I'm sorry, you can't. We can test it. We can test and see that you can't read minds. It's, it's not an opinion. It's a fact. We can test yeah. this again and again on people. Um, yeah. 
So it's very frustrating. It was really frustrating. Yeah, it was a joke at the end. Um, yeah. But yeah, it is what it is. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's, that is one of the most frustrating aspects of what mm -hmm. I do with the channel because, you know, we'll put out, we'll put out video after video presenting um, arguments. And even if they're theological, they're not just things we're, we're, we're basing upon emotion or feeling or we're, you know, we're yeah. thinking through the, the biblical text, the context, the, the intention of the author and trying to take all that into mm. account saying, Hey, look, this seems to be what, what's uh, being communicated here and present these arguments um, and even getting into <coughs> different elements of the psychological aspect of, of mm. WMSUG and things like that. But so often, probably 99% of the time, the way members in the comments will respond, they'll say, you know things like you're just doing what the Pharisees did. You're you're just yeah. you're just controlled by <laughs> you're controlled by Satan. You are yeah. you know you're you're a you're like a, a dog who um, isn't mm. worth casting the pearls before uh, or a, or yes. a pig. And so pig. it's it's just sort of that um, again. It's it's a bit mindless. It's just they're not listening to what's being said and, and making a genuine attempt to provide a rational, yes. meaningful response to it. Uh, they're just assuming the worst about the person who's asking mm -hmm. it. And and ultimately, obviously, these questions make they make these people uncomfortable because it's challenging. It's challenging these core parts of who they are and what they believe. And so I think yes. it just trigger it triggers in people this defensiveness which turns into anger which turns into you know name calling or even you know uh, in the case it sounds like um assuming these um evil motives of, of you and your sister mm. and it, it it is it's just it's incredibly frustrating when yeah. these genuine intellectual questions are treated as you know just a, a spiritual issue like the, a a, a deep-rooted sin or pride that's in you instead mm. of realizing hey this is this is actually a good question and and this person isn't coming with evil motives he just has a genuine question here so yeah yeah i can't i can't imagine having these people too that you probably had um trusted to an extent had this you know these relationships mm. built and then when you're coming with these genuine questions to be treated in that way uh, was probably very frustrating yeah, it was. <laughs> so, so you left. Um, did you just kind of get to a point where you just stopped going, stopped talking to them? Um, yeah. So I, I actually, when I, well, when I, when I mentioned to them the first time that I no longer believed, uh, my leader at that time, he was the Cape Town church head. And I was in Cape Town, but he, since he was Korean, he wasn't in South Africa because all the Koreans were told to go back to Korea uh, because of the lockdown. And there were some uh, you know, rules and stuff in South Africa that they wanted to keep all the foreign people out of the country because of COVID. Um, so I couldn't speak to him directly. So I actually, um, I spoke with the general manager. He's like the second highest position in Southern Africa the general manager of, of um, um, Cape Town Church, which is the headquarters of Southern Africa. Um, I spoke with him about uh, me not believing anymore, and he was the one that kept meeting me. Um, and I told him I have no desire to try to kind of 
like deconvert anyone inside of the church or anything like that. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not, because they would say like, if you leave the church, you're constantly trying to persecute them. And because they'll just label any criticism as persecution and anything that leads anyone to doubting is evil. And that will lead them, you know, out of ACJ. So you're a persecutor, you're being used by the devil and stuff like that. So um, I didn't want to kind of fall in the role of what they think people do when they leave ACJ. I just wanted to just in a natural way leave without any chaos and just go on with my life. Um, and I told them that one of the reasons why I, I, I still kind of wanted to believe a bit because I had sacrificed such a big part of my life. And I didn't want to let all of it go. And I specifically didn't want to let the people go because I had built so many meaningful relationships inside of ACJ. I was terrified of losing all of them. Um, and I, they actually, behind my back, instructed a lot of people to block me. So before I knew it, people were just blocking me on, on WhatsApp and on Telegram. And I couldn't interact with the people that I cared about. So I told the, the leader, this actually happened on 16 October. I, I told him, you know, you, I spoke with you about one of the reasons why I'm still trying is because of the people that I care about. Um, and why would you then go and take away from me the only thing that is making me want to still try to believe and stay here, which is the people. If you take that away from me, what do you expect? Are you stupid? Like, what's wrong with you? Mm. Um, I was very upset. I just couldn't understand how could you be this dumb? Because like, even if you believe that stuff, which is fine, you still need to know that this person is trying because of the people, some people that he cares about. Why would you then cut that off and then be upset that he wants to leave? Like, what do you expect? I, I just, I found it ridiculous and I was actually rather upset about it. And when they did that, I told them, I have no reason to even try to believe in your, you know, your things anymore. I'm done. I'm sorry. And then after that, I just, you know, I, I think I deleted Telegram because they contacted me over Telegram and I just went on with my life. Um, but before I knew it, I, actually at the beginning, people started contacting my sister, um, people that also had doubts, and she would just refer them to me. Um, and yeah, I started chatting. It was like almost every week there was a new person that contacted me uh, because like when people would start leaving after they chatted with me, um, you know, there was always another person that and I kind of built up a bit of a reputation and that kind of the journey started of me just on a daily basis. Like I, 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 I left ATJ completely and I started a job. I started my own life in another city, but I was almost, even while at work, like during the day, I was constantly sending voice notes to people in ATJ that asked me questions. And like sometimes there would be cases where when people, when someone tries to leave ATJ, ACJ leaders will like have feedback amongst themselves on what to tell the person that's doubting. But those people would also contact me and we would do feedback on how to respond to the stuff that they say. So we kind of formed a bit of a group to try to kind of counter some of the stuff that they say. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, I, we, I didn't really share much with people about, we didn't speak much about religion. In most of the conversations that I had with people in ACJ that contacted me, I just try to kind of educate them on how to think a bit more critically, how to be a bit more skeptical, how to demand evidence, how to identify logical fallacies in the way that people respond um, so that they can come to their own conclusions. Uh, but most of the time they, you know, they left because of that. Um, but with a lot of the, a lot of the people have been interested in, you know, Lori, why don't you believe anymore? And I, I told them, if you want to know, then I'll tell you, but 
I mean, I, I'm not actively going out to try to convert people to a secular worldview or anything mm -hmm. like that. Uh, it's not like I, I don't have the answers to the big questions of life. I, I don't know. That's my perspective. So I can't tell you because I honestly don't know. Um, but a lot of us in South Africa, I would say um, there's currently about a group of almost 20 of us. We're all secular now. Uh, we all came to similar conclusions and we uh, had discussions about it. All of you from SCJ, former members? Yes. Yeah, and I mean, there's even besides that, since I started the channel, there's quite a large group of people all over the world, including Europe and America, and specifically New Zealand as well. Quite a large group of people that all uh, um, became secular after they left SCJ. Um, a lot of them left ACJ, perhaps not for very good reasons. Uh, many of them did leave for, as I would say, emotional reasons because they were just hurt and they were tired and they just couldn't handle the culture anymore. But after they left, they kind of went through a stage where they would just recuperate, but then try to rediscover their worldview and they came to conclusions that are more secular than they are religious. Um, well, I think for myself, I kind of went through some of that stuff while in SCJ. Um, but yeah, that, that it's, a, it's a common thing that you find, uh, specifically the people that, that left SJ that end up kind of being in an in a agnostic position. Uh, but there's still, there's still some people that are religious, and I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I'm not here to, to kind of change anyone's mind regarding that, because right. I honestly don't have the answers to life. Um, but yeah, so I, I pretty much, to kind of come back to your question, I left... I decided one day to finally break off because they got everyone to block me. Um, and I was just very upset by the fact that it's as if like no one wants to talk to me anymore. And I felt like, you know, I've, I've been here seven years and gave up a big part of my life. I sacrificed so much for a lot of the people in ACJ and they, they can just write me off like that as if I mean nothing. And uh, yeah, that really hurt me. I, I kind of went through a bit of a, a difficult time as a result of that. It was very hard to to uh, face that rejection. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah uh, that totally makes sense. Uh, and I would assume SCJ probably has some form of a, a narrative that would say that your life, if you leave, is going to get bad. Like things will just get worse for you if you leave. Do, I mean, do they kind of tell you that, um, tell members that as a way of trying to keep people in? Do they kind of have yeah. this story that if you leave, your life's going to get terrible? So that, that's actually a funny thing about it is that you'll hear different stories from different regions. So like um, they didn't tell me something specifically, but um, you get some regions when people leave, they will tell you that, you know, you'll, you'll be confused. Your spirit will be evil and deceptive and you'll become like very evil and like very greedy and your life, you know, you'll have terrible, terrible, terrible relationships and, and those types of things. So they'll have like a kind of a story that they'll say about like how bad your life could become. But then you get other, you get other regions where they'll tell you, oh no, when you leave, you'll actually, you won't necessarily be sad. You'll actually be very happy because now you can finally live out the desires of flesh and you can be very successful and chase off the money and just be a very worldly person that's happy, but you don't have eternal life. So it's pretty much, it could be anything. So like they have all these stories where regardless of how your life turns out, they'll be like, oh, but they have a way of explaining it. Leave so it's kind of compatible with any possible observation. Yeah. Um, 
with my sister, um, um, my sister had a desire to get married uh, when she joined SEJ. And they actually told her while she was busy with the one remarks with Bibi, they told her that God will give her a husband one, a great husband. So she held on to that kind of hope. And of course, throughout ACJ, whenever she wanted to like someone and she thought about getting married or dating someone, they were just constantly blocking it because they thought, you know, she needs to focus on God's work. Um, and then right after she left ACJ, I think it was like a month or two, she met her husband. They recently got married. Um, and yeah, they, they, when she spoke with her former leader in ACJ about um, her former leader contacted her. And then she shared about, you know, she met this guy, they're dating, they want to get married. Then the leader said, yeah, you see, finally, God is acknowledging all of your sacrifice and he gave you a husband. And she was so confused because in ACJ, they would never teach you that God would give you a husband, someone that's out of ACJ. We would teach that if God were to give you a husband or a wife or something like that, it would be something in ACJ, a person in ACJ, a true believer. God would never give you, like we would tell people, if there was a, a, a member in the church that started liking someone outside of the church and they want to get married, we wouldn't tell them, oh, God is giving you this person. We would usually tell them that, you know, they could become, a, they first need to become a true believer, they first need to be recruited, and then perhaps you can consider dating or marriage. But God would never give you someone from Babylon. That's the way that we explained it. But now suddenly she changed the narrative saying, no, God is giving you this person. Um, God knows your sacrifice and stuff like that. And she ended up asking her, but why would God, after she left ACJ, why would God then still bless her if you believe God is only with the people of ACJ? That doesn't really make much sense. Mm -hmm. But they would just say stuff like that where you would feel like, you know, yeah. we were in ACJ. What are you talking about? We know how it works. Why would you explain it that way? So there were times that after we left ACJ, there were still people that would contact us from time to time. And I actually loved it when people contacted me. I loved it. I love talking about, like, if anyone can contact me, let's talk about it. It's not a problem. Mm -hmm. um, my mother ended up speaking to me, but she would also say weird things that's not in line with what ACJ believes. Like, she, would, she, would, she, she came and visited me once, and then she told me, Lori, you're not evil. Only Satan is evil. People are not evil. And I told her, but ACJ teaches that, yes, the devil is the source of evil, but people become like the devil and they're also evil. The Bible also teaches that people have a sinful nature. And I was like speaking to her about Psalms 51 and Genesis 8 and some verses about the Bible speak about the sinful nature in Romans. And I was like, what are you talking about? What you're saying, ACJ doesn't even believe. But it's like when she would speak to me, it's as if she thinks that because I left ACJ, that all of the kind of spiritual knowledge I had has somehow, sometimes, somehow been erased out of my mind or something. I just thought it was ridiculous. And so she had these conversations about like, I'm not evil. God loves me. And I thought, but the way that you're explaining it, that's not even what ACJ believes. What are you talking about? Right. right. Um, I was just very confused. So that their attempts to try to get me back was absolutely pathetic, even though unfortunately it was from my mother. Okay. But your life hasn't, uh, as it were, gone down the drain or, or. No, not at all. My life is, is great. No, it's absolutely amazing. I, um, I had a, both me and my sister, I, I think we have very good examples of how good life can actually turn out after ACJ. Note that a lot of the people that I've spoken with that have left ACJ, they have gone through very difficult times. Um, 
So perhaps me and my sister are not necessarily the way that, you know, everyone experiences it. But after leaving ATJ, we, we have very good careers now. I recently got a promotion. I'm in a management position in a company now. Um, I've got my own car. I've got my own house. Uh, I'm dating. Uh, I, I started dating someone a while ago as well. Also an ex-ATJ leader that left as well. We're, we're in a relationship now. I'm very happy. Um, and your yeah, life is great. Uh, for my sister as well, she got married. They, they want to have children now. Um, and so far, everything has, 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 has really been amazing on our side. We're very happy. Um, and yeah, we, it's actually to a point where I think very little about ACJ at the moment. I actually, the only time I think about ACJ is when people contact me through the skeptic at gmail.com email address. That's when I think about ACJ. But besides that, I hardly even think about ACJ. Um, you know, I've got some other stuff in my life going on. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's important to point out to people who might be on the fence of leaving SEJ to just kind yeah. of let them know that, hey, you can you can do it. Life will go on. And, yeah. and I think Absolutely. in many cases will get better. Um, and yeah, I think there is a sense in which there is a lot of, of life, you know, wasted in these groups and, and many people, mm. whether it's this group or even in the World Mission Society Church of God, it seems like a lot of people are caught up in these groups in their early 20s or so. And then they end up spending much of their 20s uh, giving mm. it away to this group. Um, yeah, um, but there there can be yeah life found after. And, and I think, yeah, you're a, a good example of that. So, okay, just a couple more questions before we, we wrap this up. Um, you you emphasize like your kind of research and, and really uh, focusing yeah. in on this idea of critical thinking. And so yes. um, I guess, how would you encourage people listening, what, whether like it's you're, you're speaking directly to SGJ members or just in general, um, I guess, what are some things that you would emphasize or say to kind of help people understand, like, what, what does that look like? What, I guess, what does it look like to um, think critically um, and, and, and how, I guess, what does that look like to not think critically as well? Like how, how, how could somebody kind of recognize, you know, what it, what it looks like if they are sort of determining their worldview on yes. kind of ignoring that? If that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, I think that, I mean, it, it helps a lot to understand that we as human beings are not perfectly rational and we are not naturally critical thinkers. We are biased. Uh, we are constantly trying to reinforce our identity in, a, in, a, in an individual sense and in a group sense. This is pretty much how we are. It's not something we choose. We're all naturally this way. So having a basic understanding in, in, in critical thinking, they speak up, they actually phrase it as um, egocentrism and sociocentrism, which is basically self-centeredness and group-centeredness. The These are the ways that we are psychologically in our kind of our naturalistic or our natural state or natural tendency. Mm -hmm. um, having an understanding of this is extremely beneficial to understand the need for thinking more critically, for looking at the way that we think to make sure that we have good evidence for our conclusions. Um, so skepticism is all about demanding evidence uh, for claims made about the world, whether it's about something naturalistic or whether it's something supernatural. supernatural. Um, and if there is insufficient evidence, then one actually, there is not a reason 
to believe yet. That simply means that one remains in a state of uh, uncertainty, saying that one does not know. Um, but it pretty much comes down to the idea of truth. So, you know, some people will sometimes ask me, why is truth so important? Um, truth is the thing that binds our minds to reality. It's the thing that we all have in common. Um, that's ultimately why truth is important. When, when we don't take truth as something that's important, we ultimately express that we don't care about our expectations and we don't want to live in the same world as other people. We want to live in our own little world. And that's fine. But ACJ has a desire to try to convince everyone that their perspective of the world is the absolute truth. So it, it, from my point of view, when you don't care about truth, you're ultimately agreeing with some divisive uh, perspective of the world. Because if you've got your truth and I've got my truth, that it means that we are now going to battle to try to see whose truth should be, you know, the, um, whose truth should be the ultimate uh, authority on, on what reality is. But the way that I view it is that there is this objective reality that we have. And we have a subjective experience of an objective reality. So there's this kind of philosophical problem. How can we align our subjective perspective of reality with objective reality itself? And it's very difficult to do because we're so biased. We come to different conclusions. We've got different preferences. Uh, you know, we have different preconceived ideas based on the way that we were raised and you know, the way that we were educated. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we have to demand evidence to make sure that all the beliefs that we have, or at least try all the beliefs that we have is based on good evidence and good reasoning. And good reasoning is simply reasoning that's not fallacious, that doesn't contain fallacies. So it's very beneficial to also study some logical fallacies to understand, you know, why is this, when people speak about a fallacy, what is a fallacy? It's ultimately a flaw in reasoning. And why, why is it so bad, you know? But you have to actually have to look at these things to see that people commit them all the time and all they the just time. have no idea what's going on. It's actually quite yeah. funny when you understand it, that people are just constantly committing the same fallacies in the way that they're reasoning and expressing their conclusions. And I, that's actually one of, one of the things in my channel that I do is I try to encourage people to look at cognitive biases and logical fallacies and to try to present sound arguments for their perspectives regardless of whether they're religious or non-religious, regardless of whether they're an ACJ or not, it doesn't matter as long as people can start to think. And when people start thinking more deeply about the world, their certainty decreases, which is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. We don't need to have an uncomfortable thing about yes, everything. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I would argue you shouldn't have. Y yes. So it's actually rather counterintuitive. And from my point of view, at least, I also promote not just skepticism and critical thinking, but also science, because I'm convinced, and I think it's, it, it, it should be something that's obvious for all people, is that the best method that we as human beings have come up with to align our subjective experience of reality with objective reality itself is science. And I think that should be, by looking at the implementation of technology in modern day society, that should be so obvious. I don't even understand why people are still debating this. That should be insanely obvious. Um, but at least people should investigate. But for ACJ people, of course, maybe this, what I'm saying now, seems like very worldly. And yeah. you know, there was actually education done about me a while ago, specifically about my channel in ACJ, where, they, where one of the leaders said that I, I might teach people critical thinking, but I can't lead people to heaven with critical thinking. 
Um, right. I agree. I can't lead people to heaven <laughs> with critical thinking because I myself am not even convinced that heaven exists. So it's, it doesn't make any sense to me to begin with. I'm not even going to respond to that. Um, but I think for SEJ, even when it comes to basic cognitive biases, like if they could just study like what a confirmation bias is, just a confirmation exactly. bias already in itself will already give them great insight. And with logical fallacies, if they could study something like an argument from ignorance fallacy, Mm-hmm. And if they could study the burden of proof, even just those basic things, I sometimes, I've taken months to try to explain those basic concepts to people in ACJ. And when they finally clicked it, it kind of led them on a path of being skeptical of many things because yeah. they were just constantly seeing it everywhere. They asked more questions, they researched further, and they eventually, you know, they decided to leave themselves. I didn't have to tell them. Um, so I think those could be basic starting points. And of course, people can, you can study this online. There's also very nice philosophy uh, YouTube channels. There's wireless philosophy is a nice channel and also explain some of these things. The point is just to kind of embrace being curious and not to, to realize that doubting is not a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with doubting. When you doubt, you can learn. Even I'll tell ACJ people, like, because they're terrified of doubting because they think doubting mm-hmm. is from the devil. And I tell them, okay, even if you doubt, you can view it in this way that if you doubt, you can now investigate further and then you can have certainty. And maybe you will become more certain about your belief and that's fine. But at least you're going to start asking questions. And when you look at, at the answers to the questions, look at different perspectives. Don't just look at the things that are taught by ACJ, but look at other perspectives and try to fairly kind of analyze and evaluate the information that you've gathered to reach an informed conclusion. Because that's the one thing that ACJ takes away from people. They take away your control. They have control over your life. And control in this sense is ultimately the power and freedom to direct your, the path that you walk in life. And when you start looking at different perspectives, you are ultimately taking that power back for yourself you can now finally make an informed decision, a decision that was taken away from you when you were recruited and while you were progressively indoctrinated in the organization. And for people, if they ask these questions and look at different perspectives, perhaps they might come to the conclusion that they should stay in ACJ. I'm not going to stop them. They can believe whatever they want. But at least they had the opportunity to think for themselves a little bit. Um, So it's pretty much about not determining the outcome, but providing opportunities. Yeah. And I, I think like I, I don't know, and this probably will make a lot of people uncomfortable who follow my, my channel. But uh, as as I kind of mentioned earlier, like I, I'm in a, I'm in a place where I, as much as I very often don't like it, um, I, I, and I wish in many ways I could, I have days like you where I just wish I could convince myself or almost like, like brainwash Mm. myself into being fully convinced in the way I used to be about certain things. But um I, in many ways, am just um, have to be honest by saying I don't know. Like I, I don't know about yes. so many things, and and I, I'm still very compelled by many um, things in in Christianity, and 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 I mm-hmm. I want to still uh, identify myself as a mm-hmm. as a follower of Jesus. I think um, I you know particularly about like the the person of Jesus, and not just. Not just theological things, but even historical things surrounding him um, is is just something that I'm I'm pretty fascinated with. But um, I think you know one thing with people kind of to your point of people being afraid of doubt and and 
there's there is just um a demonization of doubting and questioning within whether it's scj or or just christianity i think that's that's something that has existed in the past and i think in some streams it, it's something that's being more welcomed and um being dealt with in healthier ways but uh, kind of the way I, I I find that to be quite a frustrating um, uh, assertion or or accusation, yeah. uh, and and especially you know like if 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 you're coming from a place of believing in, in God as being our Creator, and then to make that sort of claim that doubting or questioning is sinful, uh, because if you think about that for two seconds, you have to realize that that the one who gave us the brains that that question and just doubt naturally. And, and when we come across yeah. seemingly contradictory information and, and things that don't make sense, if God made us and he's the one who designed our brains to kind of have those, like those alert s signals that say, Hey, something's not right here. You need to figure this out. You need to think about this. Like our brains just naturally do that. We, we don't choose to enter into doubts and questions. It just, yes. it's just something that comes from uh, us just in encountering different sets of information that comes to us and, and, um, and then doubts and questions come because the information very often doesn't align with what we've, what we're believing. And so, so I just say yeah. to people who are afraid of doubting, like if, if you believe in, in God, like God is the one who gave you that brain that, yeah. that doubts. And so if, if you think God is real, he should be big enough to be able to handle those, those questions. And if the God you believe yes. in is not big enough to handle those questions and doubts, then I would say he's not a God worth believing in and trusting in. And I agree. if he requires that you sacrifice your intellectual integrity in order to continue believing, then I just, that's, that's a really confusing situation that he's put everybody in that, um, yes. that he would give you a brain that is going to naturally see issues with uh, and have questions about, uh, you know, reality, but then to basically, in a sense, not be allowed to, to attempt to find like a, a rational uh, explanation for those things. I just, th that, that in itself is, is hugely problematic. Um, so, yeah. um, but you, you mentioned, and I think maybe real quick, cause I think that, you mentioned confirmation bias and maybe just, it, it might be fun one day to just get you, get you back on to just do a specific like conversation and kind of inform yeah. it a little bit more about critical thinking, because that that's something that's fascinating to me. And, and something that, you know, as I've dealt with cult members and in, done interviews like that, that's, that's basically, I haven't gone and done like specific research on critical thinking, but mm. I, what I, what's happened kind of is I've recognized the uh the fallacious reasoning and i've recognized the um inconsistencies and the lack of critical thinking that comes from uh for example the world mission society church of god member and i'm seeing yeah. just this irrational foundation that they're standing on um, but what that's caused me to do is to look at myself and say hey you know in in many ways i'm 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 basing many of my beliefs on the same thing. And I say, I have the same tendency to sort of want to, I, I just, I'm naturally bent to want to rationalize my own um, mm. already assumed sort of way of perceiving the world. Like I, I'm, it, it's yeah. a scary thing to want to go out and, and get to like, listen and take in information that contradicts what I already mm. believe. We have a natural bent to want to only 
put information um, uh, or to take in information that just continues to affirm what we're already believing. Um, and so that's that would be uh, you mentioned confirmation bias. And so would you say that's kind of a good example of, of that? Yes. Yeah, I think, I mean, confirmation bias, um, we try to, it basically comes down to us trying to seek information. So when it comes to looking for information, we focus our attention and our memory on information that confirm our beliefs. That's pretty much where it comes down to. And this reinforces our identity as a person, or it reinforces our group identity, social groups that we are attached to. And of course, one of the reasons from a scientific point of view, the reason why we have this confirmation bias, it gives us survival benefits. So it pretty much comes down to survival. When you're constantly trying to confirm your beliefs, you will end up forming groups. And then when you're in a group, the probability of survival in harsh environments will be greater. And that's pretty much why, at least from my point of view, why I'm convinced we have this natural inclination. But of this, of course, this results in us, uh, um, like you, in some of the videos that I've made, we'll sometimes mention echo chambers, which is basically a confirmation bias on yep. a group level, where you're in this echo chamber where everything echoes back at you, where it's just this group's perspectives that are reinforced amongst themselves. And they're like creating a little bubble for themselves where they're not aware of other perspectives outside of them. So they might be completely delusional. They would just never be aware of it until they take all the information into account. So there is actually, there is a, um, I actually wanted to share with a story. Maybe you might find it interesting. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever, there's this meme and there's also this kind of thought experiment. Sometimes someone will draw a six and then there will be two, uh, two people from both sides of the, the number where the one person will see a nine and the other person will be a six. I'm not sure if you've seen that, that, that kind of, I think there's a meme about it as well. Yeah. Um, so imagine you have a six, so one person sees a nine, other person sees a six. And then mm -hmm. ACJ will sometimes use that and say that, oh, we all have different perspectives. We have the right to our own perspective and those types of things. Um, but there's different ways to look at it because you can, there's certain topics that are subjective, that you can have your own point of view of it or something like that. But that thought experiment can actually be complicated a bit further where let's say you've got a six, but imagine now you've got one, two, three, four, five, on the left-hand side of the six, and then seven, eight, nine, ten. So there's actually a pattern. So someone that actually has looked at all the facts can see that actually when you say that it's a nine, you're wrong because they can see the pattern. They've got a bigger perspective. So there are certain topics that we can look at and we can make factual conclusions. Not everything is in the realm of facts. Some stuff are in the realm of opinion. And we have to discern the difference between that. So I think everyone has the right to their own opinion, but you do not have the right to your own facts. That's just not something that should be rationally considered. Um, because if you've got the right to your own facts, then everyone has their own little world, their own little reality, their own little truth. And then that will be extremely, extremely divisive uh, perspective. And that will also deny the idea of objective reality to begin with. Um, but either way, to get back to objective uh, uh, confirmation bias, mm -hmm. is I think it's probably one of the most common uh, biases that you find within people. And it's something within all people and I don't think that there's any way to overcome it. I think you can minimize its effect on your life by being more aware of it and surrounding yourself with people that are also a bit more critical in their thinking. But another thing that you can do is, of course, whenever you are pursuing answers to a philosophical topic, of course, you don't have to do this with everything in life every single day. It will, it will get too tiring. 
But when it comes to big questions in life, I think that one should also look at information that contradicts your current beliefs. Um, so you look at, at things that opposes and contradicts, and you try to pay special attention to the information that contradicts your beliefs, knowing that you will try to avoid it to begin with. Um, I think that already in itself is, is a very good way of approaching it. It's very difficult. It's not easy to do. Very uncomfortable. Um, most people don't have the courage to do it, but I would urge you to do it. I think it will change your life. Yeah. I've, that, that has been, I've, I've recognized that in myself. Um, it's really only been within the past, I would say, year or two that I reached a place where I was willing um, and this is just a full disclosure. Like I, I finally reached a place where I was willing to actually just listen to a full blown like atheist talk and give his perspective yeah. and just actually yeah. listen to that and, and, and not just immediately shut it out. And I, I recognize it in myself. I just saw this fear like this. Um, mm. you know, I, I would, I would very often just, I would not, um, I wouldn't really allow myself to hear those things. I kind of shut them out because mm. I, was, I was afraid of the things that I would hear. And so, you know, I, yeah. a, a couple of years ago, me and my wife, even we just sat down and I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, Rhett and Link, they're YouTubers, um, the no. good mythical morning, I think, but it's like a comedy channel. Oh yes, yes, yes. I do. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Good mythical morning. Yes. Yes. I do. Yes. Yeah. So they, they kind of shared, I think on their podcast, kind of their deconvert Christian deconversion uh, stories. Mm -hmm. and, and like, that was, that was very uncomfortable to listen to, um, for me initially when that came out. And, um, but, but I do, I think it's, it just, I kind of started to force myself. Cause I reckon I, when I would see that, I would see that in myself. I recognize like, that's just what, why, why would I, you know, if I think I have the truth, like, I think I, I, I'm confident what about what I believe and I know it's true. If I really think that, then why, why mm. would I be so afraid of this contradictory information? Like why, why would that be something that yeah. causes me to just have this like deep anxiety and fear where I'm not even really willing to listen to it because I'm afraid what it's going to, to mm. cause in my mind. And I just, I'm in a place now where I'm, I'm very much comfortable with listening to anything. And that's, that's um, mm. it, it's that's nice. Right. It's nice to be able to hear an atheist come on or, or even just listen to, to um, uh, you know, different podcasts and, and to, to take in what's being said. And I think it allows me even now to, I can, I can, um, process it in, in a healthier way. Like I'm, I'm mm -hmm. able to hear both the good points and the bad points. Um, and, yeah. um, it, I guess a, a plug that I'd, I'd recommend to, to anybody is, is a podcast that I really enjoy is it's called the unbelievable podcast. And, um, it's a podcast yeah. out of the UK. Are you familiar with this? Yes, I've watched it before. Yeah, I okay. actually watched it while I was in SEJ as well. Oh, did you? Yes, I, yeah. it's a great. It's it's a Christian uh, uh, mm. podcast, but it, it's very. I think they do a really good job of being un, um, yeah. uh, for the most part unbiased in how they they allow mm, absolutely the podcast is like taking positions. People who have completely contradicting positions, most often Christians and theists and non theists, and they'll put them in conversations together where both sides are, are equally um, given uh, time to present their, their case. And so, you know, they'll have, they'll cover topics like the resurrection of Jesus and they'll have people presenting, you know, why they think it's historical and people talking about why they think it's not. And, um, you know, they, they cover a whole broad range of topics, but even just listening to that, 
um, uh, I think is, is, is helpful and, and doing things like that. I totally agree. I think people should expose themselves to things like that. They should as painful and yeah. uncomfortable as it might be exposing <laughs> themselves to the, the other side. Um, because mm -hmm. if you, if your belief system is such that it's so fragile that it can't handle even listening to, you know, information that might oppose it, then I just, what, what sort of, what sort of worldview do you have? Like what, 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 what are you even standing on at that point? What's the foundation mm. you're on? And yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I yeah, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I think that's a, a great challenge to encourage people to just take information that might be uncomfortable. Um, but this mm. is just a great way to kind of counteract that natural inclination that we all have to just want to continue filling ourselves with information that that just reconfirms what we already believe and and you can do that mm -hmm. people are obviously are welcome to do that um but uh it's hard to be able to to have confidence that you really are um being i guess intellectually honest uh mm. if that's yes. the way you're you're kind of functioning yeah so i actually um I, after I studied some critical thinking, I also of course, realized I have a very strong confirmation bias and I, I was really embarrassed about it. So w w one of the things that I did was, uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, there's a, there's, it's on YouTube as well, The Atheist Experience. Uh -huh. um, it's, from, it's from Texas. Um, I started watching their um, episodes where they, the Christians will call in, mostly Christians, sometimes atheists as well, mostly Christians will call in and they'll have a discussion about God. And um, I found that very informative. Um, and that's actually, I became a big fan of it. Uh, I still watch it today. Um, not that much anymore because, I mean, I'm kind of bored by the arguments presented. Um, <laughs> because yeah. it's just like, yeah, so once you study the arguments for a while, it, it's, it's kind of a bit boring. So I like to watch more kind of formal debates between professors. I find it more enlightening for myself currently. But yeah. that was a nice place for me to start. Um, but that was a really nice experience. And I also realized that my perspective of people that were uh, atheistic or secular, uh, a lot of the stuff that I believed about them were just not the case at all. Um, I kind of, I kind of grew up in a very Christian household, believing that atheists are like, you know, they drink blood and, you know, sacrifice goats. They're basically <laughs> Satanists. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and they're just moral monsters, you know, they're just constantly mm. raping people and all the people in prison are mostly atheists. And I'm just like, yeah, I believe stuff like that. So I think yeah. I was a bit excessive. But right. um, yeah, I've, I've met some great, great people that don't believe in any divine things. And they're amazing people. Yeah. Um, but I still have, I've got friends that are both um, religious and non-religious. I, I, I'm friends with any kind of person. I don't really care much about that. So it's it's interesting because you mentioned that you you would study and listen to a lot of uh, William Lane Craig's um, mm. his lectures and things like that, and he's kind of known uh, at, at least among a lot of Christian circles as one of the top you know defenders yeah. of, of Christianity. He's very good. So yeah. I, I'm just curious how like like. Um, because I, I would I would view like I think one thing that that is a bit frustrating to me as somebody who still has Christian uh, beliefs is is to see uh, in many cases people coming out of like the WMSCOG um, mm. who I think presents just like a a pretty 
non-intellectual perspective of Christianity. And, and you know, I think people are willing yeah. to do what they want with Christianity, but I think yes. at least give it, give, I think the most robust form of it a fair hearing. And I think people like William Lane Craig do a pretty good job. And I don't agree yes, with everything I agree. he says, but yeah. um, at least hear the, hear the best of what Christianity has to offer, I think, before mm. uh, rejecting it. But I'm curious, like what, what do you kind of make of those, those, arguments at this point that's kind of a, a bit of a vague question i guess but yeah yeah so i mean um, william like william like craig his his go-to argument is the kalam cosmological argument about yeah. everything that begins to exist as a beginning the universe as a cause therefore the universe as a no no everything that begins to exist has a cause the universe has a, a beginning therefore the universe has a cause Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, he speaks about the cause needs to be outside of space, time, and matter. So the cause is spaceless, timeless, immaterial, extremely powerful. That is what we know as God. That's kind of his go-to argument. I'm not sure if I phrased it correctly now. Something, something in that in that way. And that's that's actually one of the reasons why I was a firm Christian earlier on in my life. Um, I I found that uh, very convincing, of course. But currently, I, 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 I'm not convinced by that anymore, mostly mm -hmm. because the argument simply demonstrates that there might be a cause to the universe. But when people start speaking about things being spaceless, timeless, immaterial, like, I don't even know what that means. I, I don't even understand what spaceless, timeless, immaterial means. How does something exist for no time and occupies no space? I don't understand it. I can't even imagine it. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but that makes no sense to me. So even that concept in itself, I don't even understand what it means. It, it, it appears incoherent to me. Uh, and when people, when they, at least through the way that he will sometimes argue, um, mm. they will speak as if the Big Bang teaches that everything came from nothing, which it doesn't. Uh, the Big Bang theory simply teaches that there's these existing concept of space, time, and matter, and how it expands from an e extremely dense state to a less dense state, from a hot state to a less hot state. It, it doesn't really give a complicated explanation regarding the cause of existence. So to me, it, it's pretty much, it doesn't demonstrate anything about the, the characteristics of the cause of existence um, at all. Um, I, I don't even know how one could know that. Um, of course, there's a lot of other stuff that could be said. Um, but when people yeah. say that everything that begins to exist has a cause, um, how does time have a cause? Because time exists. How could time have a cause if time is needed for causality, you're stuck in a logical paradox. So I'm not saying this disproves God. I'm just saying that there are so many complicated questions that you could ask. I don't think that there are answers to these things. And my response usually comes down to this is I'm not claiming that I know the cause of existence. I don't think anyone actually does. And I don't think that there's sufficient evidence to justify belief in a specific type of God for the cause of existence. Um, I, 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 I've not seen... Uh, you know, a good argument for that. Um, of course, people will go further and they look at another argument, which is a common one, the teleological argument. We, they will speak about the complexity of the universe, or they'll speak about the complexity of a cell or the human eye or DNA or those types of things. Like, you know, the, the whole creationism uh, or intelligent design versus evolution yeah. kind of argument. Right. Um, I've looked into that as well. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to try to explain those things in depth because I'm not a biologist. But I've personally not uh, found those arguments convincing after I'd looked at actual biologists explaining um, how a lot of complexity can arise naturalistically without any need for any external divine intervention.
Um, so I, I, I've personally simply come to the conclusion that if there's really a God that is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving, he's done a terrible job at making himself known, um, at least from my point of view. Um, I, mm-hmm. I think it's, 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 it's not... Uh, let, me, let me put it like this, uh, because I think it goes even beyond just the existence of the God. If someone could demonstrate to me the existence of the God, I would believe in the existence of the God. I would accept the existence. But that doesn't mean that I, I would necessarily think that, that such an entity is worthy of worship. And that pretty much comes down to, you know, the whole philosophical problem of evil. I do not find, um, I do not find reality, at least the way the unnecessary suffering that we experience in reality, I do not find it to be compatible with a God. If you want to define a God as an entity that is all powerful, all loving, all good, I don't find this to be uh, compatible topics. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually a, a conversation that I had with some of the leaders in ACJ. Um, I brought up an example, and I've actually commented, I've added this in one of the comments on one of the videos that I made once. Um, we, when, it, when it comes to, you know, the whole problem of evil um, topic, and I've discussed it with a lot of Christians, and I've also discussed it with ACJ, what ACJ brought up is basically three things. If you bring up uh, um, the problem of evil, they'll bring up sin, Satan, and free will. Those three things, where they will, it ultimately goes down to evil comes from Satan, and because of Satan, man sinned, and man has free will. And if we don't have free will, they, you know, God wouldn't be loved, you know, something like that. Um, but one of the, the questions that I'd asked them uh, was, uh, this is actually, this, this is something that I personally thought about because of something that happened in Namibia church. In Namibia church, um, there was a woman, a quite attractive woman. Uh, she was recruiting a man. And then he, and it seemed like he wasn't really interested in the Bible that much. He was interested in her. She just didn't realize it. Um, and he ended up raping her. And while he was raping her, which is a terrible thing, uh, she cried out to God, to the God of ACJ specifically, to help her, to save her from this unnecessary suffering. And afterwards, she came and, of course, she, she mentioned it to the leaders. And myself, as well as another leader, I had to consult her about it. And she actually asked a very good question. And it's still something I think about today. Because she asked about, you know, why would God, you know, allow something like this to happen? And we started speaking about, you know, the sinful nature of man, you know, Satan and Satan controlling the world and man having free will. These are unfortunate things that happen as a result of sin and free will. Mm -hmm. But so what she asked was actually a very good question. She asked, does that mean that God, well, in this context, it's the God of ACJ. Does that mean that God valued the free will of the person raping her above her own well-being? I didn't know what to say. I, I was I was speechless. I, I had no idea what to say. Because and in that moment, if there's a God that is all-powerful, all-loving, all-knowing, he would have to make a value judgment. He would have to discern. He would have to you know make a, a value judgment, which is ultimately about what is more important, the free will of this person or the well-being of this person. And um, that even to me currently, philosophically, I don't know how you could get out of that. I, I don't know how you could give you the justification for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, one could debate about a lot of other stuff. But I, I personally cannot see a, a clear answer for yeah. that. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's, uh, that, that's one of the things that I've, I've thought about a lot. And um, I'm very interested in the topic. I'm very much open to believing and stuff again. But I think even if one could demonstrate the existence of a specific God, one would also need to show why that God is actually worthy of worship. Because existence mm-hmm. itself doesn't demand belief. Uh, in or in its uh, um, 
or worship. Let me rather say, existence itself doesn't necessarily demand worship. Yeah, yeah. I hope yeah, that answered I, your question. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that's it's. These are all things that I'm kind of on a daily basis wrestling with and thinking through. And I, yeah. I don't, I don't have a good solution to that. I, I would say that um, the problem, the problem of evil, is is probably one of the biggest challenges to um, at least Christian theism. Like, because if you if you have yes. this belief that there's an all loving, all powerful God who created everything, then it's hard to be a rational person and not look around at, at what many people experience in the suffering and to, mm. to, to have that cause significant, you know, challenges to, to that belief. Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate your time. Um, I'd like to let you go and, and just let you, I guess, finish with any, I guess, what would your last, if you have any last thoughts, any final words you would want to say to, to people or even to SGJ members who are still in, um, as an encouragement or, or, or yeah. whatever. Well, if I could say something to ACJ or those that are in ACJ currently that are doubting, I would want to give them a message more than just people in ACJ that wouldn't want to listen either way. Um, if you're in ACJ and you're doubting, um, there's nothing wrong with doubting. Doubting is an opportunity for you to discover that which is true. And I would urge you to have the courage to be willing to look at information that opposes your perspectives knowing that your life is not going to come to an end simply because you change your mind. People change their mind all the time. People are wrong about stuff all the time, including myself. I've also made a lot of mistakes and that life do go on, that there are ways for us to cope with uncertainty. There are ways for perspective. Um, so there's nothing to be afraid of. At least even if you are afraid, it's okay to be afraid as well, but just don't let your fear control your behavior. Um, if you're really a person that cares about truth, pursue truth until the end and know that someone like myself will always support you in your journey. So you can contact me anytime if you want. Yeah. Thank you, Laura. And definitely once again, everybody go check out his channel, subscribe. And, and I think that's a great way to help him out and to help just get more information out about um, the SEJ and potentially keep people from, um, you know, spending years of their lives um, in this group. So definitely, uh, I think that's a big thing that you all listening can do to help that out. There's very, I, I, as far as I know, there's very few um, organizations or, or groups or even YouTube channels that are specifically trying to provide content for this group and to help people um, come out of it. And so we should do what we can to support channels like this. So thank you, Lori. Thanks for for sharing your story and um, yeah, hopefully we'll keep in touch. I might, if I think of something, it, uh, I might, I might ask you to come back on again in the future. So sure. Anytime. Thank you very much.